Yeah, well, I've been trying to, like, sneakily red pill people on Sawada Kenji for, like, a decade, so... Good luck, <laughs> uphill battle. It's impossible to get people into anything, <laughs> and especially if it's not all nicely rolled and put onto Spotify with, like, easily sortable and, like, a long Wikipedia article, so he doesn't have anything. No, he's got nothing, and there's nothing in English. The only thing in English is this really shitty book called japan rock sampler i don't know if you've come across this at all oh dear no oh it's by this guy julian cope who's one of these like professional music critic guys but mm -hmm. so i read this when i was first starting to get into uh Salada kenji and and i was like wait a minute none of this matches anything that i'd read in japanese like number one but also like he never he like he just seems to rely on like these Eight, like mysterious sources that he never tells you and he doesn't speak Japanese and doesn't mention anything about like translations or like where he's getting his information it just kind of magically appears which yeah I had a recently disturbing discovery that basically all um, academia concerning Japan is conducted by people who don't fluently read Japanese or even like have a fundamental like level of competence in the language and so like it was much worse i think like um 50 years ago but it's just as bad now apparently like i had a friend who just got um a master's in comparative lit and she's completely illiterate in japanese so it's just shocking yeah right yeah and no one stops these people no. <laughs> going it's, on. it's crazy to me because <laughs> i was like the, like the first thing I did when I like really started to get into um, like Japanese pop music was like, oh, okay, I guess to find out the stuff that I want to know, I need to learn how to read Japanese. <laughs> like, and I'm just doing this for fun, you know? Interesting. <laughs> Would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I think it's worse in Korean actually, but it's, yeah, it's pretty bad in Japanese too. That's embarrassing for people who are learning Korean because they don't even have to learn the kanji. You you just have to learn Hangul. It's and it's easy. It's so, <laughs> stop it. You don't even have to like figure out how to pronounce everyone's names and yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> or try to read like katakana. Like that's the worst. Trying to figure out like I have to sound it out. I can't. And then I'm like, oh wait, that's a loan word. I know what that word is. Oh, katakana is just atrocious. It, it, it pisses me off all the time. Um, like the word for theme is tema, and I do not understand how that happened. And every time I have to say it, I get frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a Sawada Kenji song, Samurai, but it's in katakana. <laughs> and like, so you're just like, and, Sabu, like, hello? And I'm like reading it out loud, like, oh, a samurai, okay. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> you would. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like to start off my episodes with a song and I like to let my guest pick the song so I don't know if you have anything you want to uh, spread out there in the world to people oh and it doesn't have to be related to no, whatever you want really? oh wow that's exciting oh what can I do this is that's that's the best thing I've ever heard and I'm like so excited <laughs> yeah I'm always like curious at like what people pick too because it's never anything i would have picked which is like the fun part okay i'm gonna pick heavy gate by morning musume 23 they're one of their newer singles from their best of album
Yeah, well, I just saw them at Budokan for the 25th anniversary concert, and then、oh, really? I watched the movie today, which has the big climactic、um, set piece at Budokan, and it really touched my heart. Yeah, yeah, oh my god, that, yeah. Yeah, the、uh, Budokan piece. Well, because I have,、um, well, I guess maybe we should、uh, do a little intro spiel. Welcome sure, to the. Sure. Uh, welcome to the Idolcast. Welcome to my podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest to discuss somebody that I've been a huge fan of for like over a decade,、uh, Salada Kenji, the best pop star you've never heard of. <laughs> uh, and and、um, I think probably his best film, The Man Who Stole the Sun. Uh, and yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Zach Langley Chichi. I'm the host of the I'm So Popular podcast. We cover high and low culture, both from Japan and elsewhere. And I'm a drag queen living and working in Tokyo. Nice to meet you. Yeah, well, welcome. Yeah, and everyone should check out.、Um, I really loved the episode that you did on.、Um, Like white ladies in Japan. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you for listening.、Yeah. The magical experience of white <laughs>、yes. girls stumbling around Tokyo. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it was really, and it was like reminiscent too because it made me like, I don't know. I mean, I've been, I haven't been like that white girl in Tokyo, but I've definitely been a white girl in Tokyo kind of stumbling around. And、um, my friend, I always stay with my friend Tiffany when I, and she,、um, She loves to go to like these, she says, like a local like bar or like、mm-hmm. a snack, I guess. It's just like,、mm-hmm. like the one person bar that has like all the regulars and they have like their bottles behind the counter. I don't know what you would call that. Yeah, that's a snack bar. Like a snack I, bar.、Uh, I was just at one last night. There is a tokusatsu themed one、um, run by a common writer. Oh, yeah, that's in her neighborhood.、Man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I walk right by there all the time. Well,、wow. when I visit, yeah. Yeah, it's like right by her.、Um, are you on the Cebu? Oh、Shinjuku、my God,、line? that is so funny. You're not fucking around. That's literally、yeah. where. So I don't live there. My, one of my best friends does, but I go there like twice a week almost. So、no、I probably <laughs> walked past your friend <laughs> before. <laughs> I'm sure you have. She's a very tall white lady. She's okay, very, very tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I flag her down. <laughs> I'll tell her to look out for you. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, I've walked by there like 80 billion times. <laughs> Amazing. 
What a small world. <laughs> well, yeah, but so, yeah, so I go to those little ones with her. And because um, I'm, you know, I'm just a tourist in my Japanese. I mean, I can get by, but I'm not like fluent or anything. Mm-hmm. And so um, I walk in and I'm just like the magical white lady visitor from America. And um, everybody's like praising my Japanese. (laughs) 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 And everyone's just like so like amazed to see me. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great. Um, Like, you know, that song USA. By Japan. Come on, baby. Yes. So the year that that came out, I had that sung at me like everywhere I went. It was, yeah, yeah, it was very much my own little magical um, experience. It really is comparable to nothing. And people like to try to lean out of it or be too cool for it or. Um, they'll take the other worse approach, which is they'll just stick themselves in Shibuya and Nakamegaro and spend all of their time around other foreigners. But, like, I walked into the Sakamichi series snack bar in Golden Guy, and when I went in, everyone stopped. They went dead <laughs> silent. Everyone looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing in here? And the woman was like, oh, sorry, like, Japanese only. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm a Wotha. And I, like, took out my phone. I'm like, look, I have an Ozeki Rika wallpaper. I belong here. And then everyone was so gooped. And like, hey, Uncle Joseph. Yeah, it's, it's magical. <laughs> oh, my God. I love when you get that. No, Uncle Joseph. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yep. People always complain about it. They're like, oh, it's so condescending. I'm like, you don't like getting free compliments for something so easy and <laughs> trite. You don't want to be complimented on your ability to use chopsticks. Okay, that's on you. <laughs> your problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would like applause if I eat natto. Like, thank you very much. <laughs> oh yeah, let me get order the nihonshu with a side of natto and some sashimi and speak my most basic Japanese and just be a star. It's exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. So I I enjoyed that episode very much and um i will link that one and you know all your stuff in my show notes um but yeah i was excited when you agreed to come on and especially to talk about salvador kenji because yeah like i said he's like the like this massive pop star in japan and then outside of japan like no one knows who he is like at all and i remember reading um reviews for like the happiness of the katakuris and stuff Mm -hmm. and they didn't even mention that there was like this major pop star like in like they were just it's it's like he doesn't exist it's so weird it is extremely frustrating and bizarre and i literally had the experience of watching um the happiness of the katakuris with my friends and i was like oh my god is that julie and they're like and they're like who i'm like what do you know (laughs) i was so upset but yeah he really has this strange quality where He's such a mainstay and staple in Japan, and yet is completely um, just untouched by the rest of the world. So uh, I really appreciate you not being afraid to uh, open the gates and let people in on a private treasure. Yeah, uh, I am not a gatekeeper. I'm a gate opener, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I 
don't even remember how I first encountered him. I'm sure it was as part of like some retrospective on like Japanese TV or something. Because mm-hmm. they love those. They love like the nostalgia pieces and like let's let's look at 20 of the best Showa songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just like fascinated. And um, I did like this deep dive into the Tigers uh, who were Japan's first idol group and really like their first big um like rock and roll band uh and yeah like the more like the more I found out like just the more I was interested and I've it's been like over 10 years and like I'm still finding out new things yeah there there's really a, a deep need for um a critical retrospective of his life and presence in Japanese pop culture and art that has not been scratched out at all because I know my first encounter with him was uh, through the Mishima film um, directed by Paul Schrader. And I was watching it for, it might've been like the fourth or fifth time I'd seen it um, with my, with a boyfriend. And he was the one who told me who Julie was in the first place. And it was shocking to me that I didn't know um, about that at all. And then I just realized there was this whole enormous void in my knowledge that um, has been exciting to slowly uh, fill the pebbles in one by one. Well, he's fascinating too in that, like, over the course of his career, if you even just, like, are watching clips, like, on YouTube or whatever, he goes from this real, like, chocolate box, like, Hoshi no Prince, <laughs> like, idly, like, teen idol. And then he kind of, like, morphs through, like, his leather daddy phase and his, um, y- yeah, like, all the way through to just, like, I don't know, like his meatloaf, like long greasy hair and and whatever, <laughs> like like all the way through to like today, he's like Japan's like grandpa, like um, it's very yeah, it's just this long, long, long career, and he's constantly morphing. Like you can't, it's I think it's Im- almost impossible to like really put a pin in who he is, like underneath all of the presentations. Yeah, he is really fascinating because he has the quality of people like Sakamoto Ryuichi and David Bowie, where he is both simultaneously deeply enmeshed in pop culture, but is kind of deliberately styling uh, himself to be alien to it. And his ease of transforming through different roles and images is just completely breathtaking. And whenever you see him acting or a picture of him, you could just put two together from even a year apart. And it's like different humans all under one artful mastery that he has. It's truly breathtaking. Yeah, and and he's definitely aware of, of this divide, too, because I came across this really fascinating little video of him kind of transforming. And it's from like the 1990s at some point, but he... Mm-hmm is just facing the camera and you know in all his like middle-aged glory and just like putting on his face like he's putting on the judy face and the title of it is something like you know like from sawada kenji to judy or like becoming judy (laughs) it's yeah it's really great that's beautiful yeah Yeah. i love i i really love all of those like david bowie cracked actor uh relationships that people in like the late 20th century when they were really on top of their art were able to evoke in themselves. It's like so completely foreign to how music is now and what relationship people have with stardom. Uh, the only people I think that even hold a candle to that kind of mastery over their own image is like Kim Kardashian. 
Yeah, like these influencers. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, because yeah, he would have been, I think he would have been an influencer if he had been born today. Because, yeah. like, so to give people, like, kind of the TLDR on his history, like, he was born, um, he's from Kyoto, and um, basically just always wanted to be famous, um, <laughs> like, to be a star. <laughs> and um, I pulled up my little script that I wrote up, for the first my first episode of the tigers because the so the four like the four members of the tigers they were looking for a singer and they end up hearing about this guy salada who's like this teenager he's like 17 and um he's he'd been working as a roadie for this other band the thunders um but they the thunders would let him sing like a couple songs and so they went down to see him and the way that um they remember it is (laughs) they like go into the club and they see him on stage and he has a crew cut and he's wearing a too big business suit pointy shoes and a skinny tie (laughs) and he's singing the cover of um miki katsuhiko's ori no nameda wa (laughs) 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 and um yes but he had this like great voice there they were like okay and um yeah so he kind of joins the band but one of the things that comes across is like the other four are kind of like these just normal guys right but then judy like always kind of held himself apart like he um yeah he was just like the other four would be playing cards and he'd just be like sitting on the side um (laughs) and (laughs) like i mean he was he was like part of the band um and you know he got scouted a few times they tried to get him to go solo to come up to um tokyo uh because the the tigers had um they were based in um osaka uh playing like bars around there they actually they played with um at uh carousel mickey's bar (laughs) very cool yeah yeah but um yeah so they eventually go all as a group to um tokyo and um there they're kind of groomed from this like bar band kind of like the Beatles and their Hamburg era like their big song and still I think Salada's big song is uh, Satisfaction like the Rolling Stones Satisfaction
Yeah, and um, so they get up to Tokyo and are groomed into like this Hoshino Prince image by these um, a pair of middle-aged ladies like <laughs> like based out of this um, uh, restaurant in Roppongi called Chianti. Have you encountered like the Chianti scene at all? I don't think so, but I just started a new job in Roppongi, so I'm going to have to get into it. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. This is someplace I've always wanted to go. I mean, the salon doesn't exist anymore, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like in the 60s, like the scene out of Chianti, which is like this Italian restaurant. That's where like everyone came to like see and be seen. Like all the glitterati would like go to Chianti. Amazing. And, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so they... um yeah and so then he meets these like like everyone who's anyone and um and eventually like kind of gets plucked from the tigers by like his production company and um launched i guess to go solo and they send him off to london um to work with like the bgs and he's like japan's big hope like they send him to europe um he like debuts in france um in germany but like nothing really happens he was oh he was on the cover of rolling stone like in america like one of the only like asian people like yeah, ever just like him and yoko ono right yeah yeah like that's it um so yeah he was like this like they really tried to get him to like go global but for whatever reason like the rest of the world like could not see his charms and uh so yeah he ends up coming back to Japan and that's where things like really start to get kind of weird and he ends up getting very creative in his like stage stage costuming and um and then yeah he just keeps on working and he's still working he's still um performing and acting and yeah still yeah because he has one of those like uh presences in pop culture that is really esteemed for like the highest of the elites um no one but I think like him and like Miwaki Hiro have any kind of uh, relevant like them and like uh, beat the Keshi are probably oh, yeah. the only people yeah. I can think of that get to be on like the Mount Rushmore of like Japanese talent basically and it's really like and fascinating to see him still relevant now and also to kind of imagine this like strange dreamscapey career that he had after being born in like the middle of nowhere totori and then like off to kyoto and getting wrapped up into like the birth of the idol he like really feels like a celestial object yeah like it's just this impossible career imagine going from wearing a too big business suit and like having a crew cut and like getting dressed by all the best designers like in japan and yeah it's just crazy it's difficult to understate how gaudy and intense some and like dandyish some of his costumery is and the makeup and it borders on drag um yeah absolutely it's very very it's kind of off-putting to be honest oh, really? <laughs> i mean he's so he's such a beautiful man obviously oh like he's so gorgeous he's um, so gorgeous and then he'll just like do like <laughs> facial mutilation and like bright pink feathers and furs <laughs> And it is, like, a weird gap between, like, his pretty present, like, masculinity and, like, whatever, like, David Bowie abomination <laughs> that yeah. is. I love it. Yeah, because he, yeah, you're right, I guess, because he does, especially, like, as he gets up into middle age, um, he is still very handsome. But, yeah, he, like, he 
he really does disfigure his face or he just wears like these like yeah like the long greasy hair of the like megumi like era it's like like what are you doing but it's it's all just larger than life like it's not it's not salada it's all judy you know it's all just larger than life he's got this like david cassidy like shag haircut and he's like they always put him in a lot of um like frou-frou like white lace and mm-hmm. yeah he's just very i mean it's just this almost ethereal like beauty yeah it's so fascinating just looking at some of these like older images of him and especially like at the beginning of idol culture which would you know spin out into this multinational uh, black hole of all culture that I'm, of course, like, love and respect. But, um, like, just seeing kind of how some of the presentation and costumery that he had at the time would kind of, like, really stick its fingers into, like, the basis of what it means to be an idol. And it's, like, never really his influence has never left all the way. Like there's shades of it everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And a big part of that too is, um, and I don't know, I mean, we don't have to get into this, but um, so, so Johnny Kitagawa, right. He was a huge um, group sounds fan. Like he loved mm-hmm. the group sounds era. And so a lot of Johnny's costuming stems directly from like the tigers and like that era of like Savada Kenji and the tigers. And these um you know the little hats and um the capes <laughs> like the frou-frou capes and like the, like like the the glittery like glitzy like feathers and all of that like a lot of that does stem like directly from the group sounds era and um i've seen 
one of my well my favorite idol uh abcc's kawai fumito who is now leaving the group but he has one of his solo songs in one of his earlier concerts before they had too much material he does basically like a sawada kenji um inspired stage and wow yeah like like a lot of these stuff it's still especially coming from, like via johnny's a lot of that it really is still just baked into like boy group or boy idol dna yeah like these images of them with like the tassels or like um like them all like in you know little boy clothes mm-hmm. and all with their like simple little smiles it like if you just changed the people present in the photos and called it shonen tie, like it would pass very easily. Oh, definitely, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, some of the stuff, obviously, as it gets later, that that is, yeah, like the um, the Tokyo costume where he's. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where he's in like the mm-hmm. the light the light suit with like that big parachute behind him, the red and white. Like, um, it's almost like you know referencing like the japanese flag and he's in like this like red suit and it's got like all the lights lit up on it like that's pretty iconic Yeah, it's like Michael Jackson by way of Imperial Japan. Yeah. Plus David Bowie, who I keep bringing up over and over again. And like the cover of like that single or the album with him in like the red cowboy hat and the jeans and like holding a gun is really menacing to me. Like I'm kind of afraid of him sometimes. (laughs) Well, I love um, my favorite era of his is like the late, like mid to late. 70s early 80s ish where he was still with the Inoue band and um yeah where well, that's where he has like you know um oh girl and <laughs> darling and like where he's got like the um yeah just like that very I, I don't know almost yeah just like a, a glossy magazine cover like glamorous um yeah but then he's like in the sailor suit and, um, oh, the sailor suit. That yeah. is a really major like <laughs> look for him. The sailor suit with the little earrings. Yeah, that one. And then um, his like Nazi uh, paraphernalia phase <laughs> when, like, where he had like the hat and then um, the pilot, the pilot outfits where he was all in white with like the pilot's hat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he did go through like a uniform phase at one Jenny, 
半端なワインより酔わせてくれたよだけどジェニーあばよジェニー俺は行かなくちゃいけないんだよ I'm curious to ask you what do you think is the inspiration that brings that fascist aestheticism out in Japanese pop music? Because obviously it's a big part of YMO with like the propaganda film and like Solid State Survivor, like the image is all over them.、Uh, Sawada Kenji has it in spades.、Oh, yeah. We still can't get away with it when Kei Kizaka was all dressed up in <laughs>、yeah. SS uniforms for Halloween. What is your idea of where that comes from? I'm going to be honest, and I think, I think for whatever reason, I mean, it's just aesthetically pleasing. Like, it's just, it looks cool. And I think, <laughs> yeah, that, I agree. You know, honestly, like it just looks cool. And I think that, you know, in, in the West, we have, like, it's got so much cultural baggage that it's hard to kind of look at it just as an art form or like just as like the surface level, like styling. But it's so baked into just everything. I mean, it is in the, it's in the、right? flower, that's for sure. Like, And I think you're right because、um, they don't do that much、um, like education around the spiritual like, devastation that the swastika implies. Like, people don't really understand outright in Japan a lot of the well, time, like, the, all the, the cultural baggage. So, it's yeah. It's like the symbol, the symbol is also just like. If you just turn、tweaked. it a little bit, yeah. yeah, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. So, I think that people. It's they just don't, and I so I did a lot of work in like Bollywood stuff. Like, I did so much research into Bollywood stuff like、um, a decade ago, but、uh, Hitler and like the Nazis and all of that stuff is also very present like in South Asia. There was like a really popular、um, uh, like TV drama called like, Hit, like Hitler Didi, like. <laughs> <laughs> like, my, and it was just like, like about a very strict, like, older sister. <laughs> like, and so, and, and they, I think, believe they also, like, Mein Kampf is like sold as like a business book, like a business、okay. study, you, you know, like a business reading, like, like we would read like The Art of War or something. They're reading like Mein Kampf. And it's, it's just like these different cultural connotations. Like, they have their own, you know, cultural boogeyman that you can't touch. But yeah, I, th- I think it's just like, it just looks cool. I don't. It does. I mean, you know? it comes from that Hugo Boss design and like、mm. the, you know, fascist insistence on,、um, you know, power and overcoming and deleting the world to replace it with your own vision. It just translates well to fashion because like fashion and dressing yourself is like trying to 
overcome the perception of other uh, the other others have of you and by dressing you know you are immediately trying to force your own vision of yourself upon them which is kind of innately fascist so like literalizing that even if it's not on purpose like it just makes sense and it feels good <laughs> yeah, it, it's also really modern i mean i think those mm-hmm. like the clean lines and like the um the lack of like or, like ornate frou-frous and like all it just looks very clean and modern Mm -hmm. and i think that probably has something to do with it too very true yeah it is very like sharp blocky clear armbands need to make a comeback armbands are the coolest thing in the world oh well that group um what's their name atarashi gakko oh yeah they they all have the little like their fascist armbands yeah (laughs) (laughs) you can't get away from it it's it's just baked it's like baked into the like the cultural like palette of, of things that's like available to to pull from i think at this yeah, point yeah i think i'm gonna start wearing an armband like i'll just i'll put something else <laughs> i'm not quite sure what but i'll come up with something fun to put on an armband and like wear that out to the gate district and see what happens <laughs> uh yeah that sounds like a, a good um experiment <laughs> <laughs> i'll let you know how it goes <laughs> um yeah i mean there's just so many i like made a list of like all the sawada kenji songs i like pulled it from uh uh, from wikipedia but there's like 80 billion like we could never go through all of these um is there anything that like particularly stands out to you like is there a sawada kenji song that um that you've encountered like in the wild uh yeah so people sing him at karaoke from time to time um like especially at like snack bars and stuff and I guess I would say the one I end up like hearing kind of often is um, I'm trying to remember the title of is it. it. It's ka- like Kate Nishi yeah, Kate Nishi yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. brought up at karaoke quite often so i had encountered that one before um but when i was kind of flipping around youtube just uh, sticking uh, my toes a little bit deeper into the waters of his career i was really taken aback by his version of i was born to love you that he sings in like impeccable english yeah well they, they tried to get him to go global i mean I, this blows my mind that like in 1973 you could like go into a record store in london or in paris 
and buy just like a 45 of Sawada Kenji. Yeah, it's so amazing. And it's like, it feels like, um, because there was that one, I can't remember her name right now, but the, the French woman who became a big deal and kind of kicked off a lot of idol culture in Japan. Oh, like, uh, was it France Gall? I don't remember. But the idea of like them trying to like reverse that and like debut him in France like tickles me endlessly. Yeah. I think the album was called like Magisha de France. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh my god, the French obsession. Cause yeah, he's got a few songs with like the je t'aime, like the je t'aime, je t'aime, like Oh yeah. Don't they all? <laughs> Miwa Akihiro has that too, just going, Zatem. Zatem. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah, France derangement syndrome. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I can link a few things in, well, I'll probably play a million clips in here just because I've been trying to get people interested in him for a long time. But um, some of my favorites are, I love Nina and that one's great oh it's so good and then the kohaku performance where he like i saw that where he whips the dove out of his like, jacket <laughs> <laughs> and it's like he's just you know like just a dove just that's the, there just needed to be a dove a uh, live dove um like just pulled from his coat just to represent his true love his true love and uh peace oh no. I love, like I said, like I love the late 70s era. Um, so yeah, Katani Shigare is great. Like, oh, what is it? Nikumi Kirenai Raku Danashi. And that's where he's got like the amazing link SSG. <laughs> Um, yeah, Samurai is great. 
Um, I really like um, Tsuyoku, um, which I also think is from one of the ones where he's in white sailory stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, darling, oh girl, uh, yeah, Tokyo is great, um, Sakupa de Dabada is a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one, I had to listen to that one. <laughs> And then um, one of my all-time favorites, of course, the Casablanca Dandy. Dandy, yes. yes. I listened to this one on your recommendation, and it is magical. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's just water or whatever, like, you know, stage liquor, but he just spits it directly at the camera. And you can kind of see the cameraman, like, wasn't expecting it. Um, and that's pretty great. And there's other ones where he's performing and he's just, like, got the cigarette just, like, dangling. And they'll just, like, spit it out onto the ground. It's very great. Yeah, he's such an amazing performer. And, he, I mean, I do feel, like, kind of menaced by him. Like, he's be- <laughs> Before, like, the turn of the century, when, you know, before he became, like, Grandpa Nippon, like, he was, like, kind of, like, sexually intimidating. Oh, very much so. Well, he is very, like, so, like we were saying, like, he does have kind of this frou-frou, 
um, almost cross-dressing elements mm-hmm. to some of his costuming. And, you know, he's got the stage name Judy after Julie Andrews, um, <laughs> like literally. Um, but he also does have that like undercurrent of um, like menace. And so he's like known for having this like really terrible temper. And I don't know if you've encountered any of these stories, but um, my favorite one is the emo Judy incident. <laughs> Have oh, you heard I do this not story? know about this. Please fill me in. I'm dying to know. <laughs> oh my god! So it's like so. This is like mid '70s. So like the height of his like fluffy like David Cassidy shag haircut, like wearing pearls and whatever. And um, so he's on the Shinkansen, and you know, with all his like crew. Um, and I guess some some like punk, like some you know young guy walks down like the train like aisle, and is like. Ugh, like emo judy like adam <laughs> and and you know they kind of walks down probably to go to the bathroom whatever and then he's coming back and julie stops him and he's like what did you say to me and the guy's like uh, I, I said yo julie and he's like no i don't think so and like punches the guy in the face <gasps> oh <laughs> I want to get punched by Julie on the Shinkansen. Right. We're calling him like emo, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is basically it's like docile or like lame, you know, like um, yeah, it's like lame, I guess. Uh, but like yeah, like emo Julie, <laughs> like, <laughs> getting punched in the face. And there was another incident too around the same time, another train station incident where he um, he was in i think i guess at kyoto eki and or no it was in nagoya i think oh anyway um but like all of these girls had like followed him to the train station there were like 50 girls or whatever screaming their heads off and i guess like (laughs) like one of the, the like the um station attendants or something said something like "Ugh, how annoying or like these girls are so annoying or whatever and Julie was like, what did you say? And headbutts him. <laughs> <gasps> oh, no. Who does that? <laughs> Julie. <laughs> but he's oh just God. like some punk. Um, and yeah, like, but he, even today, like, I remember, I think this was 2018. And I want to say I saw this live on TV, but I could be just remembering um, because I would like to have seen it. But um yeah like apparently there was like some big scandal where he had was having a concert and had like stopped it in the middle of it to like give a big long like diatribe about like the islamic state (laughs) like get the kidnapping (laughs) and he's just like holding forth on stage and i guess somebody yelled sing like (laughs) and he like stopped the concert and like started like like just like her like calling out like get out if you don't like it and and um i remember just turning on the tv and seeing like sawada kenji like having um like all this press had like come outside his house and i mean he's like old this is like 2018 right so Mm -hmm. and he like leads them all like to a park like down the street and like apologizes but I mean, the fact that this was still a big deal, that he, like, is still commanding, like, this kind of attention um, in 2018, where, like, most people, you know, some some other, like, pop star who's, like, in his 60s or 70 at that point, like, 
they're not they don't get like major news coverage um but it just shows like how how present he like he really still is like in japanese culture yeah it's amazing that uh you know he's had such a robust career and has done so much and still remains as relevant honestly as he probably was in a lot of his heyday like um I feel like he's aged quite gracefully, into, which is impressive um, considering that kind of temper, which usually does not go down well with um, the Japanese sensibility. They don't really like troublemakers like that, especially in um, like their pop stars. So <laughs> That's why it's so funny just to think that, like, why would you, like, who is going to a Sawada Kenji concert and is going to, like, heckle him? I mean, it had to have been someone that had drunk too much of course um someone deep in their their cups but yeah it's just kind of funny like (laughs) like you go to see somebody kenji just starts lecturing you about like the kidnappings in the islamic state (laughs) i'm like oh thank you for letting me know (laughs) i thank you i would have had no idea honestly (laughs) oh yeah he's pretty uh he is a fascinating character but um yeah (laughs) so the um the movie, uh, The Man Who Stole the Sun, um, which, had you seen this before? So I had known about it, and I had seen a little bits of it on the internet, but I had never properly sat down and watched it. So I was very glad you gave me the opportunity to, because I knew basically everything about the movie and just hadn't seen it, and it was incredible. Right? It's, yeah, it's, and this is another one that, um, it was like, it's voted, I think, one of, like, the best... Fil- like 70s films like japanese 70s films um, oh yeah by like and japanese critics and it feels that way to me too it felt so um like prescient and important and like such like a sign of the times like the tone of the movie is exactly what i imagine of 1970s japan and then you find out that it was written by paul schrader's brother and it's just um, breathtaking yeah and that's why i'm like when I, I realized that it was written by, yeah, like, Paul Schrader's brother, Leonard Schrader, I was like, oh, okay, this really is the movie, I think, that could only be written by a foreigner living in Japan. Mm-hmm. Do you, it gets, do you I agree? I completely agree. Yeah. And it also feels like a movie that is extraordinarily Japanese in its, like, sentiment as well as, like, its tone. Um, and it just is so wild to me that the movie feels like so authentic and right and not like um not like the ramen girl for instance oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but it really does feel so authentic and it's so beautiful and i really i I do think you're right that it, it does maybe require like a foreign vantage point to like get so much like clarity on what the film is making a comment on yeah and um yeah like just the the visuals are i mean especially now like looking back it's just such a time capsule i think um just like the like the many montages of like samurai kenji like wandering around the streets or like going to the market and like picking out like electronics parts um or just like just the shots of like tokyo and in 1979 like it's um yeah it's just a beautiful really beautiful movie yeah um and also it's so well edited every shot is given like a lot of time and so you really get to feel like you're luxuriating in everything in the movie so no matter where you are like where the film is set like 
you spend so much like time in each shot that you feel everything is so fully fleshed. Like I was watching one of the many car chase sequences and was just like amazed at like the almost no cuts. It it just is like five second long takes and then it would cut to another one and it was never choppy or like panicky. It was kind of like relaxed, but it, it made everything feel so much more like, breathable and lived in and it really made me nostalgic for a time i've never seen yeah that's a good way to put it um it it did have like a nostalgia to it um and i really loved all like just the way that sawada um was shot too and like his like this is kind of he would have been in his early 30s i think when this was filmed or maybe just 30 but it really captures him it kind of I think like the height of his sort of adult um, beauty and there's just so much of just him including like a full nude uh, like shower scene yeah he's like funny (laughs) rectangular body (laughs) (laughs) but he's like spends a lot of time with like his clothes off or like his shirt off or whatever like Um, or just like the lingering like shots of his face and the movie is his, his very little much beauty mark. Oh my yeah. god! Well, who wouldn't be? Let's be real. Like who? Wouldn't yeah, he be? just he just eats the whole thing up. Like you can't look away from him. He's such like an action star, despite the fact that this movie is deeply unconventional as like an action film. Um, but he feels like just so charismatic, even when he's just as like looking around or like spraying a cat with like sleeping oh gas or you know whatever it's that like poor cat that poor cat watching that, that was amazing but i'm never gonna get over like that shot of him on like the roof of his apartment like jumping up onto the wall oh, and yeah. oh it's it's sexy honestly he's very very appealing in this film yeah with like the cigarette uh or the bubble gum where he's like the bubble gum yeah well okay so the the movie um it's a 1979 um film and it stars sawada kenji as a high school uh science teacher um who he's kind of like this sad sack loser um lives alone in an apartment um with a cat and like you he steals um plutonium from like the the power plant in order to build his own atomic bomb which he does in his apartment um and so he gets this atomic bomb that he builds and uses it to i guess like get a rolling stones concert um at the budokan <laughs> and then <laughs> but then he like realizes that he's gotten like radiation poisoning and um kind of goes like ah fuck it and that's that's like the basic plot of it yeah it's um it's kind of a reactionary film um mm. like the context of like um the 60s and 70s being like probably the most like politically disastrous time for uh Japan uh, not necessarily economically but there is like so much Um, I know we we talked briefly about, like, radical left. um, Yeah, that really struck me watching this because... Yeah. Because this would have been... So, um, Salada would have been the generation of people who had... Like, those were the students who had done things like 
um this yeah uh hijack the yodogo like the plane um and gone to north korea they had done <laughs> the <laughs> they had done um there were like all these bombings um like the mitsubishi yeah and the trash cans the tr- yeah and so there was this um just this atmosphere of like because it was all these left-wing like very like oh and what's her face um the uh shigenobu Fusako. Oh, yeah yeah who just uh, recently got unimprisoned yes she was recently just released but so in a so in 1979 like a lot of the violence had died down but all of these people were now on trial and so it had all like it was all coming back up and i believe the people behind that really awful like incident in the mountains oh the osama sanso jiken yeah with the united oh. red army Ooh, oh, yes. scary stuff and they actually they i was looking it up and they've made a movie about that they did it's uh by wakamatsu koji it's three hours long and it's amazing i highly recommend it is it really okay because i was like well maybe i should watch it but it seems yeah it seems intense oh, it's it's one of the most upsetting movies i've ever seen it's like uh so despondent and the entire theme of it is that political action will never be able to work again and this was all completely worthless and meaningless and senseless torture death um and the first hour of it is just like a documentary um like with like how do you say this it's like they do recreations oh yeah like reenactment or re exactly. yeah, recreations yeah yeah so they do reenactments of of like all sorts of like instances of uh like inner leftist violence against like other sects of different like communists and uh it's a whole documentary about that and then it just focuses on the incident in the mountains and the maoist self-critique that they do and you can like really feel like the aching hurt um in that movie that you also feel still kind of throbbing in this one um and and the nihilism too like just the nihilism because there's no point i mean that's kind of the what a lot of this gets down to is like there's no point like he he builds an atomic bomb and there's no point like they there's this one scene of like um so he calls into uh dj zero like (laughs) like, (laughs) who is adorable but um and is like oh so i built this atomic bomb and i don't know what to ask for like as a you know um and like people call in with their like suggestions and they're all so stupid (laughs) i want to take a bath with a bunch of naked girls like i want a new house i want everyone in the world to obey me (laughs) it's just but you you know you definitely it echoes back i think to like this nihilistic left-wing student violence where like what did they want with it, you know, they wanted complete communism, and it was so silly, and it was never going to really happen. Um, it was just complete. It was a complete fallacy and a complete joke and a farce. And it yeah. was, it's so depressing because people fought and lost their lives for it, and like, it, it's all this kind of like leftist imagination dreamscape. Yeah, but with the undercurrent of like just hideous fascism. Um... Or, an, or like authoritarianism that's um, exactly right yeah and so it's yeah it was just fascinating like watching this movie and knowing that at the same time that that there were all these trials happening 
of um, all these left-wing radicals who had done this like senseless violence and um, it was interesting like reading the English reviews from like the LA Times and the um, New York Times and stuff because they hated this movie. They thought it was really boring. Didn't get it. They're like, they're, <laughs> I think one I think surprise, it was, surprise. Yeah, the New York Times. I think was like, I didn't understand like when they the uh, when they faced off at the end. Who was the good guy? Like they were looking for a good guy and a bad guy, and that it was just very interesting. Like not having the framing of like just this nihilistic terror spree. Um, like it didn't make any sense. Well, this is like up there for me with stuff like Taxi Driver and uh, Drive and Blade Runner 2049, just off the top of my head about like films about male dissatisfaction in the world and mm-hmm. a society that uh, leads to a very frightening feeling of void and nothingness. Like you understand how uh, the character at the center of the film uh, would be so like despondent about the world and like very much dissatisfied. And uh, the idea that he literally makes an atomic bomb and tries to do terrorism and then it doesn't do anything is like the very like sad muted undertone of the movie that uh, really hit me in the, in the stomach when I watched it. Yeah. That's a good um, observation. I think of just that masculine alienation Um, because earlier on in the film like right at, towards the beginning um the so uh Savada as this teacher um he's on like a field trip um to oh, what is it mount taco taco yeah um, you know the big volcano mountain so that there's a lot of uh tourist touristy things but they're he, like all the kids are on this like tourist trip um and their bus gets hijacked by kind of an uh, alienated man of like the previous generation right like from the world war ii mm-hmm. generation um and he's just like upset about his son and wants to talk to the emperor about about something with his son um and yeah like that's kind of i mean sort of heavy-handed foreshadowing of it just like the alienation of a previous generation and then here you have like the next generation down like the children of those guys yeah i found it very interesting that the inciting incident is like this like hostage uh situation with his students and he reacts not with like disturbance but kind of like a, a staggered intrigue in it uh and that's what ultimately leads him to basically like stealing this bomb uh, and uh, using that to like take the world hostage, but of course, like what is it all for? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, what could the emperor have done? Like nothing. Like, I mean, it, I think it's implied that this man's son is dead, or but it's it, it, there's nothing you the emperor could do about it, and just like there's I don't know, it was very hmm. Yeah, it's, just like it, yeah, it's empty. just sad. Like it's empty. Like the cycles of history, like will always lead to one trying to take the world hostage or to try to you know bomb the world in some way. But um, it's all kind of for naught. Um, but it's funny too because that theme would obviously be such a nihilistic kind of bummer. But the film was very lighthearted and jovial <laughs> and sweet, actually. It was. Well, and I loved, like, all of his students who could not have cared less about 
his like the trials and tribulations of like the older generations in some ways like that was kind of the like the kids are all right almost (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was cute they're just like this is boring (laughs) because he would be in class lecturing them about something and and one of them was like oh but is this going to be on the exam and he's like that's what cram school's for (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) he gives them like tests to have all the answers on it (laughs) like beforehand like i love it yeah yeah just like the kids the kids seemed okay like you know they were fine um yeah oh and then there was the character of um uh, inspector yamashita who, oh yes yeah and i looked up i hadn't seen um this actor before sugawara bunta but i guess it looks like he's been in like a million billion like police um or like cop movies yeah he's kind of like a, a quintessential cop actor it seems I, I hadn't seen him in anything that i recognized either yeah although i did um i checked his like credits oh, he was in the, the battle without honor and hum in uh humility yakuza films that um fukusaku kenji did i believe oh i was gonna say he was a voice of kamaji and spirited away <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> Um, yeah, but he he just had this great like like square headed like square haircut like <laughs> this very <laughs> it reminded me of um oh what's that movie I think it's High and Low like that the kidnapping film oh um, right yeah with just all these scenes of like you had like the little um, sort of core group of like policemen um and detectives and whatever and um this they they were almost like there was nothing they could do really they didn't really do anything they were just on the other end of the phone line right and you could see him getting like uh yamashita like just getting kind of frustrated with the the inactivity of just i guess the government like they just they couldn't do anything to stop this teacher with the atomic bomb with the atomic bomb yeah <laughs> but it is funny what i really there's like kind of like a death note cat and mouse game element that i was really really not expecting here um like between the two of them that is a very it's like very tense and this movie has a lot of like very bizarre like evocations of tension that make it kind of like stressful sometimes like the five or six minute scenes when he's like tinkering away at the plutonium and stuff um are they kind of like sweat inducing um it's a panicky film actually quite often Mm, yeah it's like it gets kind of claustrophobic too and i i was just imagining watching it on like a big like a movie screen oh yeah you know, and seeing those scenes of him, like, this is close-ups of him, like, working with the plutonium and, um, or just the ones, like, where he's, yeah, like, trying to evade detection or something. And you could just see, like, you could make him out, like, in the background of a scene. And, you know, you know he's there, and but the police don't know he's there. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I don't know. I was just so amazed going back to the fact that this was written by a white guy how the hell yeah well i guess because i don't know too much about um leonard Schrader, but i was reading a little bit um and he is also behind that um film the yakuza like he i guess that's right yeah like he which is something that would also be uh fun to revisit i think um but 
Yeah, like he just is this guy that like moved to Japan and like became fascinated with it and then just stayed there. So by the time he had written this movie, I mean, he would have been in Japan like over a decade and like married to a Japanese woman. And so, yeah, I, I think I think just as somebody kind of probably fascinated with Yakuza and had just seen a lot of things and probably heard a lot of things and I don't know, just the the view of the culture like from the outsider, maybe. When am I going to get to that point? <laughs> I've already been here five years. How much longer do I have to wait until I'm making a film with Julie? <laughs> yeah, we need to get, uh, yeah, this. Uh, well, you'd have to be like the grandpa. No, I, I I'd want to pick like whoever is closest to Julie now, which of course is very slim pickings, but yeah. I'm sure there's someone compelling enough that it would work, but I need to do this too. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I wonder who, like, so the, um, I guess like, um, maybe like somebody, oh, what's his face from uh, Golden Bomber? They, they're kind of interesting. I don't think I've seen this Golden Bomber. Do you not know Golden Bomber? They do. Uh, no. Me me shkte, me me shkte, me me shkte, me me shkte. No, no. no I forgot about this now. Yeah, yeah. I saw them on my very first uh, trip to Japan in 2014. Oh wow! No, they're kind of like visual ke. Well, they're an air. They're an air band. So they okay. they um the whole thing is like they just um the lead singer uh sings and then the rest of them just mime playing instruments. Wow, okay. Yeah, but they're very like they they do everything. Like they but I yeah, I guess I've never heard of or seen these people before, oh my to be quite honest. I, oh my I God. completely missed this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i really um yeah i saw them like perform out okay, in like magical. inaka like out in um as on my first trip to japan i like i did i didn't know anything and i was like in uh, tokyo and then i went down to kyoto and um yeah i saw them like out in because i had bought tickets to the concert not realizing that like kyoto ken Mm -hmm. uh it was like uh, very different from like kyoto from like kyoto shi yeah <laughs> and so i was like okay how do i get to the concert and it was like hmm i have to go all the way out to the uh <laughs> like sea of japan coast in like a teeny tiny town called maizuru um yeah and went out there and uh saw them yeah it was great wow okay that sounds amazing but that's always where like the best uh best concerts happen is like when you're somewhere that you feel like you're not supposed to be at all yeah 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 i was clearly i was you know the only white person obviously um another special feeling <laughs> yeah it, yeah it was nice that i um i liked i like the the sea of japan coast it's very pretty it is very pretty i like it too but yeah that's i mean i don't know there there really isn't um a Julie figure. Cause the no, big, like, I was hoping it would be Hirata Yurina, but she seems like she gets in her own way a little much. She does. I, well, I'm really hoping they don't give her the Hybe nose job now that she's joined up with Hybe. She looks kind of botched to me right now. Oh, uh, I, know. I don't know. One of my friends works in PR here, and he said that she does not 
have any work done, but I'm not so uh, sure. She looks a little scary. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the plastic surgery trend. I mean, you know, you do you, but I like a little snaggle tooth and. Oh, yeah. If I don't get my guyba up in here, I'm going to get really angry. Like, <laughs> I, I, like <laughs> I need the fucked up teeth. It's like, critical for me. Like, if Murasaki, if, like, Murasaki Shingo, for instance, like ever fixed his tooth, I would maybe do. I do the man who stole the sun about that. And they'd be like, you have to fuck up your tooth again now or I'm going to blow up Johnny's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you think? Like, have you been following this scandal at all? Uh, yeah, I've been keeping up with it, but it's such a it's such a drag. Don't you think? It's like such a nuisance. It, because yeah. I mean, everyone he's... was already made peace with this in the 90s and then he's the dead fucking, he's fucking dead and then the uk had Ugh. to stick their nose into things and start okay i'm like really not to sound crazy but i am a little bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to like the bbc's habit for endlessly writing about japanese sex crimes in their fucking nationally run and syndicated like news organization from the uk i like really feel like it's sponsored by some troubling agent well it was just very weird to have that re- reporter like go in to the johnny's because i watched the documentary and like it was just very weird to see him go into like the johnny's lobby and like yeah. start demanding answers from like the receptionist and and like dude like what like what do you think she knows about but, like, this? What do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think there's, like, it just felt very, like, Pizzagate. Like, very, like, so QAnon Pizzagate. Pizzagate. Yeah. It was so, so stupid. And that documentary was not compelling at all. It, it was, was garbage. Just, it was really a huge embarrassment and made me so embarrassed, like, to be, like, from an Anglo-Saxon country. I, I was just like, oh. God, no. But it seems like it worked after all, because now everyone's up in a tizzy about it. Um, and uh, the thing is, is that it's all kind of like smoke and mirrors. And they're like, ooh, they might not have any Johnny's groups at Kohaku this year. They totally are. This is all going to like go away <laughs> in like a year, because he's dead. He's dead. Well, but also, too, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there was somebody in some position of power that was just like tired of dealing with the johnny's agency <laughs> and like this is a good excuse to like this like cut all ties but yeah it's a yeah that's i mean i guess like those are your big boy idols are i mean it's johnny's and um yeah that's about it yeah yeah because the other groups they're not you don't have like the big solo stars there's no, like, up-and-coming, like, even a Kimura, Takuya. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like, nothing. Um, and now idols that leave the systems don't do anything unless they, like, never leave the system, basically. Like, yeah. um, Sakimichi girls don't do anything with their careers after. Like, what the hell is Haruna doing? We're just, like, sticking her boobs together on Instagram. It's, like, uh, it's a little sad for idols. It's, like, a star-making thing, but... Um, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of just like scooping up YouTube uh, YouTubers now to talk on TV. So that's not great, but I'll try not to get um, too nihilistic or pessimistic about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, what do you think about um, Matsuko Deluxe? Love her. Right? Yeah, so I actually, my friend let me a book of her essays about, like, bitchy Japanese that. women. It's amazing. Oh, wait, I don't have the one about bitchy Japanese women, but I have I have a book of her essays. I've uh-huh. trans- I translated one on my website about um, her love of Morning Musume and yeah, Hello that's, Project. That's She has another essay about Morning Musume also in this volume. Ooh, okay. So, yeah, she, like, she loves them. Yeah, um, and hates and- AKB48. <laughs> She hates AKB. <laughs> <laughs> she cannot stomach them at all. She also hates Korea generally. Yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> have you but, seen that clip of her like going off about it? Oh yes, I have. <laughs> Classic. I I love her. She she's 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 my everything. Amazing. Um, yeah, and I love like all her shows too. Like the um the one it's like. Isn't it like Shiranai Sekai or whatever? Like, oh, Matsumoto Shiranai Sekai. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is great. I've seen some excellent, um, excellent things on that one. Then the like the out, like out deluxe. Oh yeah, which I think that is over now, but it was oh, quite is good. It? Yeah, and then they of course there's uh, whatever the title is so long and annoying it can never be bothered to say it. But it's like Getsuo kind of blah 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 that she does with Rokami Shingo that is amazing. I yeah. would highly recommend checking it out. Well, she loves Johnny's, obviously. She does. Yeah, she <laughs> loves her Johnny's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, hmm. I, yeah, I feel like if anyone... I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there... There's just no other Julie, like, in the there's wings. No... There's no There's no Kimura waiting in the wings. There's no Sakamoto Ruichi either. Um, no. But I, I think Jack on uh, the Perfume Nationalist was talking about this recently, that there just, like, isn't, um, even in, like, Western pop culture, there just aren't, like, pop stars in the way that there used to be anymore. So it's probably time to start, like, grieving uh, that era of pop cultural history and just um, spend time appreciating what was there um, and, you know, being happy with that. Yeah, th- I mean, that's, that's uh, what else can you do? Really? Yeah, I mean, really. And it's like, the thing is, is that there's so much undiscovered, fascinating pop culture in the world. Like, I mean, I can't believe I only started finding out about Julie, like, a year ago. And it's like, this enormous, like, tens, like, dozens of albums and songs yeah. you'll never be able to hear every single one of. And thousands of catalog. stories you'll never know. So yeah. it's like, there's always something new that is yet to be discovered in your own personal journey. So Yeah, well, that's a that's a nice note to uh kind of wrap up on i think unless there was anything else you wanted to touch on no i I had so much fun talking to you thank you for inviting me on no thank you for coming on and um yeah if you ever if i think of something else that's like along these lines i'll definitely have you back oh please do i'm looking forward to it (laughs) (laughs) all right so um maybe i'll play us out on let's see I could do I could do samurai. There you go, perfect. Oh no. Nikumi Kiranai Roku Denashi. Love it. Okay. Alright, well I'm gonna stop the recording. Hinoa, <laughs> 
See you. 